It was a hot summer's day in Greece in 2001 when today's guest, whilst on the way to the beach, lost everything in a horrific car accident. She lost friends, her relationship and suffered burns to 74% of her body. Her story of recovery is absolutely remarkable and in today's episode we chat about the realities of burn recovery and rehab, if skin grafts from your scalp result in the requirement to blow wave your wrist and her badass mum and the importance of art therapy. She's now a celebrated artist and lives in Canada and this is her story. Ladies and gentlemen, Atharasia Huvada. Welcome to One Moment Please the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Hey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I had to hit the record button because we were chatting and I was like, quick, quick, we've got to record this. You were talking about some of the other episodes that you'd listen to um, listen to on the podcast, the one with the cave um, the cave diver that was involved in the, the Thai boy rescues that were stuck exactly. in the cave. Exactly. Just listening to that and story then- and I was trying to put myself in their position, those boys, like nine days without food, scared, alone, Terrifying. Cold. Yeah. I can't even imagine yeah. what they went through. I think it would have been, I think once they knew that people knew that they were in there, it would have been easier to deal with rather than just, is anybody going to find us trying to keep the morale up? Does anyone, yeah, does anyone know that we're even down here? That That would have been probably the most terrifying part, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, just uh, thinking their conversations for nine days. What could, what would, what was going through their mind? Just, I honestly tried to put myself in their position, and even trying mm. was difficult. Mm. Heroes, little heroes. Mm. I'm so glad that they're they okay. Are. And the guys that uh, and girls that got them out. I mean, that would of have course. been. The whole cave diving, I'm not great with confined spaces, but the whole cave diving thing going into the black never-never of a cave just is something that is so terrifying to me because you've only got limited oxygen on your back if you get stuck. Oh, anyway, there's people that love it, obviously, so uh, good for them. Yeah, I prefer the mountains. And then you listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into you climbing a mountain later, but... Um, <laughs> You also said that you listened to uh, one of the ones with the eating disorders as well. Um, Yes, I did. And that's also very, like the things people go through, it's uh, it's amazing. And the the strength that we hide inside us and we don't even know about it. That's, that's, Mm. yeah, it's Mm. very, oh, difficult things, difficult situation. But I guess we all come out stronger when we go through something mm. so so difficult it's the only way and the listeners will know this but i've said it and i've said it before that the reason why i started the podcast was to inspire people if they're having a bad day they can listen to this podcast and say you know shit someone else has had a really tough time and they've got through it it might give them that little glimmer of hope to you know get through it and and perk themselves up and also seek medical professional advice and help. <laughs> People, that's my disclaimer. Yes. 
That's the legal disclaimer. But you've also had a journey um, as well. So talk me through your story because this all sort of started 20 years ago and uh, a car crash. So what happened? Yes, it will be 20 years uh, on August 5th this year. It will be 20 years. Well, that's interesting that you know the date exactly. Oh, yeah, of course. It's my second birthday. At least in our in our burn community, that's how we refer to uh, to our burn anniversary. Okay. It's our second chance in life, and that's exactly wow. how it feels. Yeah, it, it's exactly how it feels to me. Um, well, I was twenty three years old, and I'm not ashamed to share my age because I am so glad that I am forty three this year. <laughs> 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 just being here and being around <laughs> around this world, I'm, I'm just happy over the moon. So I was 23 years old, perfectly happy, and I had a very promising future because uh, my, my parents, they provided me with everything that I needed to have a very stable, secure, and fulfilled life. So everything was perfect, and I was married at the time. I was three years, it was already, yeah, three years that I was married to my husband. Wow, and you got married uh, young. Very young, yeah. That lack of ambition that I didn't, yeah, something that I, I, I have some second thoughts about, but it was a learning experience. <laughs> uh, we, are not, <laughs> we are not married anymore, so we will get into that too. <laughs> anyway, I was, uh, yeah, married, happy healthy, young, beautiful, like all young people. We are all, they are all beautiful. You're still beautiful. And uh, thank you. (laughs) And uh, we planned to spend a day at the beach. So it was Sunday and with some friends, we made all the plans and all the, you know, arrangements, how we're going to drive there and we went, we got in the car, all four of us. And this is and it was in Greece? That that's in Greece, yes. And we we're going to one of the most popular destinations that every everyone from my hometown, I lived in Thessaloniki, in north part of Greece. And everyone from Thessaloniki on the weekends, they were going to that place and it's called the uh, Halkidiki. Some people that maybe travel to Greece, they know that place because it's a very popular destination very sunny very beautiful beaches it was just a dream so of of course we were very excited to go and uh, we got in the car and about 20 minutes later 30 minutes later as we were driving of course we were not the only ones on the road there were so many people and there was traffic and he decided to change his uh, route follow a different ra- road and that road was more narrow it was um, it wasn't unsafe like if you follow the safety rules you were perfectly fine but you had to follow the rules which he didn't mm-hmm. he was always an aggressive driver my husband was driving I was sitting next to him I was the go driver and uh, be- and the back seats passengers were my friend uh, Sotiri behind me and his wife, Effie, behind the driver. So as my husband was driving, and as I said, he was an aggressive driver, but I I knew it, 
but I didn't knew it, know it, if that makes any sense. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I was too young and naive, I think. I couldn't tell that he was an aggressive driver or I just had this idea, belief that nothing bad will ever happen to me. I was too young to to be fighting for my life. <laughs> and I was. So I remember at some point I did tell him, like, slow down, you're going too fast because we were at that road that it was uh, full of turns and the uh, visibility was not the best. And he was overspeeding, overtaking the vehicles in front of him. So I told him once, he didn't really stop down. He he kind of slowed down for a few minutes and then picked up again the same speed as before. And at some point there was a car in front of us. I was going uh, a bit slow, but safe. And he decided uh, he wanted to overtake that car. So he proceeded to overtake the car, but there was a turn, so he, he had limited, limited visibility. And as he started to overtake the car and was halfway through, he saw another car coming from the opposite side. And he panicked because we were going to crash with the car coming from the opposite side. So as he panicked, he hit the brakes, and uh, because of the because he was overspeeding, he lost control of the car, and we ended up falling in a ditch. It was about six, seven meters high, and the car did some turns, and it finally hit the ground. And as soon as it hit the ground, it caught fire, and the fire was in the cabin of the vehicle. It wasn't outside. It was actually in the car. I just I just want to explain to the listeners, when you were saying you did some turns, you motioned that it, it somersaulted, like it actually um, spun on, a, on yeah, the roof and over. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. It spun a few times. To be honest, I didn't even know that it spun. It, everything happened so it, fast. So you didn't, couldn't even tell it was flipping, the car was flipping? No, no. Wow. No, I was wearing my seatbelt. Yeah. And everything, honestly, it took less than a few seconds for everything to happen. It was wow. so fast. We didn't even have time to react. I remember that those moments. I remember having. I remember the the seatbelt like pushing on my chest, like that sudden movement. And then yeah. I remember the noise of the brakes on the on the road. And then just a big sound when we crashed on the ground. And uh, I was, when we crashed, I, of course, my first response, because as I said, as soon as we hit the ground, the fire was in the cabin and we had the windows closed while we're driving because it was so, it was so warm. August, like this, the temperature was over 40s Celsius. So we had the windows uh, closed, and I remember the the fire, the flames surrounding me, and silent. I couldn't. It was so weird, like all this noise around us because we were screaming, and I couldn't mm. even hear my voice because it was so silent, like a buzzing, no- deep sound, like you were. If I can 
if I can say, it, it felt like I was diving into the sea. You know, when you're diving well, and you that, have, have well, I the wish water I in... slushing and the boat, mo- I can't even speak, the boat motors going in the distance that you can hear and yeah. Yeah, not, not even boats, just, you know, you don't hear anything when you're diving. It's just like a buzzing noise and uh, yeah. that's how it felt. And I wish I was in the sea at that moment, but I wasn't, yeah. no one was. And uh, we, were, we were burning alive. We were actually oh burning alive. And I, I was screaming. I, w- I remember screaming because I was trying to kick my door and um, open my door and my door wouldn't open because, uh, because of the car flipping and I just, it was jammed. I couldn't, I couldn't open the door. The windows didn't break. That was weird. And I remember I took my seatbelt off and I was kicking the door and the door wouldn't open. I was screaming, but I couldn't even hear my voice. And while I was doing all that, luckily the driver's door opened and my husband got out. And then my friend Effie, that was uh, she was sitting be- behind him. She got out, and then I got out. I was like crawling to get out of the car from the driver's uh, door. And as I was going, as I was trying to get out, I remember that I tried to reach my friend Sotiri, that he was sitting behind me because he wasn't moving and he wouldn't move. And uh, what I learned later is that he passed away. Um, as soon as we hit the ground, he he wasn't wearing wearing his seatbelt, and uh, he yeah he passed away from uh, head injuries. So yeah, um, really really difficult situation, and just just to think that it only took a few seconds, one split mm. second to be precise, that movement that wrong move and there we were four people suddenly we're three so Tiris, he never made it out of the car and uh, the three of us severely injured and I remember when I when I got out of the car crawling like literally I was crawling from my seat over to the driver's seat and then I got out of the car and I knew that I was on fire still my clothes so I roll on the grass to put the flames out. And, you know, my first response was to look around me and see who's out there, if uh, everyone is out there. <clears throat> and I saw the driver, my husband, running around, screaming, trying to get um, closer to the car. Of course, uh, he couldn't. The, the, flame, the flames were getting uh, more intense and the heat. And uh, then a few people just ran over to uh, give us some help. And uh, they literally dragged us away from the car because, you know, from the movies, we are, uh, we think that there's going to be this huge explosion from the car. Well, it doesn't happen this way, but it does crush our lives into a thousand pieces. That's for sure. Mm. Mm. So yeah, we're sitting. They they took us by uh, about ten meters away from the car, and there we were sitting, unable to react. And 
the only one that could react. And I think he was in panic still. It was uh, the driver running around the car trying to get close and people that were dragging him, trying to keep him away. And as I was sitting there, I knew I was injured because I could see that my that my feet, like the skin was falling off. And oh, so I knew I was injured, but I couldn't, I couldn't understand how injured I was. Mm. I honestly thought that I was okay. And I remember that I turned around to see my friend, my friend Effie, that she was a few feet away from me at the back sitting there. And when I turned around to look at her, <clears throat> I remember I said, I'm sorry, because I felt res- responsible, although I wasn't driving. Mm. The, my husband, the, the man that I, uh, I trusted my life with, he was driving, and I also trusted my friend's life with him. So mm. I kind of felt responsible, although I wasn't the one driving. And uh, I said, I'm sorry, will you ever forgive him? And she wouldn't, she didn't even look at me. She was staring at the car. She knew that her husband never mm. made it out. And I, I, I still remember her stare. Like it was, it was blank, mm. blank, like, like a white piece of paper with no words on, like motionless, just staring. And that's the last memory I have from there. And then uh, the paramedics came and they took us and they took us to the hospital, to the emergency. And uh, horrific. It was a horrific accident. It was interesting um, through that description and really the horror that you explained but it was interesting that you said that you didn't realise how badly injured you were and that you couldn't hear anything. I didn't realise how injured I was could have been the nerves being affected. Um, but the hearing was, do you think, was that because you had some sort of a uh, an injury to your head even though you're wearing a seatbelt? Or is that, do you think your body's shutting down one of your senses so it wasn't so too overwhelming in that moment? I think it was the sound of the flames that were like right. that buzzing noise. It was mm. the flames around me. Although it felt like it was silent, it wasn't because the flames were surrounding us. And you know, when you're close to the fire and you can still, like, fire doesn't really make noise, but it does. I don't mm. know if that makes any sense, but if you're the, close the, the enough, you can. of the things that it's burning and yeah. It was like yeah. sucking up the air. Oh and it goodness. was, it was sucking up the air because I told you the, the windows were closed. So there was no oxygen. And uh, I actually had to have a trache, um, tracheotomy because mm-hmm. I, I inhaled a lot of smoke from the vehicle and uh, I, I had a lot of trouble breathing during my recovery process uh, later. But I think that it was the panic, it was the fear, it was the sound of the flames. And I knew I was screaming. I knew it, I could feel it in my throat, but I couldn't hear anything because the sound around me was so, like the moment was so intense. So the paramedics come and you wake up, I'm assuming, in in hospital. 
What's your first memory of you coming to? If that's your, you said that the paramedics coming was your last memory of the accident scene. What was your first memory at the hospital? I remember a few things in the in the while I was in the ambulance. I remember them cutting uh-huh. off my clothes, some of my clothes anyway, and um, it felt like I was. I went to the hospital very fast. I don't remember that. It it must have taken about about 30 minutes to get to the hospital because the distance was long, but it felt less. So I don't know if I I if I uh, lost any, my consciousness while I was uh, in the ambulance. I'm not sure, but I remember when I was wheeled in the ER. I remember everything and uh, there was there were many people running to towards me and uh, of course Effie and uh, we all arrived pretty much the same time and they took me into a room and then they started cutting off whatever clothes I had it was summer I wasn't wearing much I wish I was that would protect my skin more and the last memory from the emergency room was when they cut off my wedding ring I I remember the noise, and as soon as they cut the wedding ring off, I fell asleep. And I think there were just so many people around me. There was one nurse uh, trying to get an IV, you know, all these things happening at the same time. And that was the last memory. So then, um, from what my mom told me, they took me into the for a surgery right away to you know to clean the skin and scrape all the burnt skin. That's what they did, and I think the first surgery lasted about nine hours. They were waiting, and I did wake up the next day. I remember I woke up the next day. I I stayed in Greece because I had to be airlifted and taken to uh, England, to UK. That's where I had all my um, recovery, my oh, my okay. therapy. Yeah. So I stayed in the hospital in, uh, in Greece for eight days. Eight horrific, horrific days. It was a new burns unit, but I don't think they had the experience needed to treat these kind of injuries. Mm. unfortunately oh yeah that's that's another story <laughs> yeah i'm go i'm a, i've been asked to speak to uh high school children about road safety for the last uh, two three years i've been doing that and i always tell them that an undertaker saved my life and yeah an i know undertaker. i get I, I, exactly. I get that response all the time. <laughs> yeah, shock. <laughs> oh yes, my goodness. Uh, well, on the third day that I was in the in the ICU, and as I said, it was horrific. Like I had, I I could see my body. There was no bandages, and it's it's images that they don't trigger me because I'm very aware of what I went through. I mm-hmm. don't try to block any images out. 
I am aware and I want to be aware because I try to uh, raise awareness on burn trauma and I'm trying to help other burn survivors to accept what happened. And it, I feel like if I, if I try, if I even try, try to block those images, I won't be able to help them. So I'm good. Uh, and I, I, now that I'm talking about it, I even have the images in front of me. It was horrific. You do, you, you don't want to see that ever in your life. Like what we see in the movies sometimes, like those um, <clears throat> extreme makeovers to for accidents and stuff. It's nothing compared to the reality. Reality is way worse. So I stayed in that hospital and for three days, um, they were not saying anything to my family of how I was. They were saying Get she's out. very, she's very sick. She's uh, very ill. She's severely injured. Uh, we have to wait and see. But they didn't say anything like prepare yourself. Uh, she might not make it. She never. They never said that. So on the third day, an undertaker came to the hospital, and it happened to be my mom's first cousin so as they were speaking outside the hospital before my mom said why she was there he said well yeah they called me from the burns unit the icu because they have two young girls that they are uh, pretty much going to die soon so that's yeah, how your that, mom oh that's exactly my goodness so, yeah, they saw each other, they said hello, and uh, before before his, my mom said anything why she's there, she asked him, why are you here? And he said that they called me from the, the nurses from the ICU and so and so. And then she realized that, of course, it's for me and my friend Effie. Yeah. And... Uh, just realizing that she made all the arrangements to take me out of there. The doctors wow. would not sign. They, they, they refused to sign the papers so she can take me out from that hospital and take me somewhere else. They refused. So it was all on her. They said, if you take her, she will die. But that's even a before, huge burden for your mum like that's oh yeah oh yeah. goodness what a decision to have to make yeah I remember she came to my room in the intensive care she could she could come inside to see me and uh, she told me I couldn't speak I had a trachea on so I couldn't speak like I uh, they literally told me if you want to say yes close your eyes once if you want to say no close your eyes twice like I couldn't speak and she came in the room and she said um, I'm thinking of taking you to England. What do you think? And I, I told her, like, she read my lips. Take me, I'm dying. Mm. So that's what she did. She made all the arrangements and five days later, an airplane came, uh, an intensive care airplane came from UK uh, with an honest... Um, Oh, I can't pronounce that. Anesthesiologist or whatever. Exactly. The person that does anesthetic. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. And an intensive care um, nurse. Mm-hmm. And they prepared me, bandaged me up, and took me to UK eight days later. Effie was still alive when I left. Were you at least getting oh, pain management in Greece? You, you were? Okay. I was. I was, but I wasn't... I don't know if the, the physical pain was stronger than my emotional pain. Yeah. I think my emotional pain was more... Yeah, now that I think about it. <laughs> I was in pain. Like, my feet were in pain. I remember the pain on my feet. Oh, terrible, terrible. I think also if you're, I mean, not that you can ever escape what's happened when you're lying there, but every time you look at your body, it's all—it's a constant reminder. If you're not bandaged and you can see it, you're in the hospital, it's like you kind of, it's not like your mind can es- escape the reality of the situation either. So it makes sense that statement in terms of the emotional was worse. Yeah, mm. well, it's my, the burns I have cover 74% of my body. They're third degree burns and fourth degree burns. So it's What's my, the difference between the two? So first degree burns is just, you know, sunburn. It's the top layer okay. of your skin. Second degree is uh, when you start peeling off. Third degree, uh-huh. it goes all to the meat, like to the skin. Uh, deep and then fourth degree goes to the nerves and then fifth degree goes to the bones to the muscle and sixth degree goes to the bones so the 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 more severe the burns are the deeper they go the burn and i also have fifth degree burns like i had to um i came close to have my right hand and my right foot amputated there was a, a point that they were thinking of amputating uh, both my right hand and my right foot and my nose because they were so burnt. But was I, that in uh, Greece or when you're in the UK? I was in UK by then. Okay. But even if I had to be, if I had to have amputations, at least I was alive. Mm. But it did take about six weeks in UK after I was admitted to um, tell my mom that I was out of danger. So it wasn't an easy process. I was in danger for seven weeks after my accident. How did you find out about Effie? My mom told me. My mom told me, but she didn't tell me right away because I was still fighting for my own life. I was giving my own fight. She told Mm. me about you know, I'm I'm not sure exact the exact date that she she passed away. I feel I think it was about two weeks after the accident. And by then I was in UK, and uh, my mom told me about two months after I got injured, and I was asking, of course, but she never said she's she's fighting. She's fighting. She didn't tell me right away because, as I said, I I was giving my own fight and she didn't want me to stop. Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm, maybe I would have give up. Mm. What was the – you said it was a new burns unit in, in Greece, but what was the difference between going and getting that care in the UK? What were they doing differently? 
<laughs> That's a good question. They were human. <laughs> right. Yeah, they showed feelings and emotions and I felt I felt safe there. I felt mm -hmm. that I was being taken care of. When I was in Greece, the first thing that you have to be careful about when someone when you have a, a burn victim in front of you is that you need to keep him away from infections. Mm. So everything needs to be clean. No one can go in the room. And I was in the same room with my husband. In intensive care, we were sharing the same room. That was the first mistake. And uh, one day they had to change the bed because I was... I, if I go into details, maybe I'll get some... Uh, not very good reactions from the listeners, but um, there you was were no immobile sheets. in the bed, so I was imagining that it's like there everything was that comes buckets, with that. Buckets yeah. under the bed, getting all the blood and the fluids that were running through my body because oh, there was no skin. Goodness. Like the, my flow, my fluids were just there was no stopping. <gasps> it was honestly, I I can't even I can't even describe in words what I went through those eight days and one day a vivid memory that I have is they had to move me from the bed so they can change the beddings and everything and they brought a small crane and that crane went first to my husband to move him from the bed because he was immobile too they didn't and, sterilize uh, it did they then, as soon as they finished, they didn't sterilize it. They brought it to me, moved me, and I saw that crane, and it was rusted. There was <gasps> rust. And at that moment, again, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know the dangers. I had no idea about burns. I had no idea about anything, but I could still feel that that was wrong. So that finished, and another horrific memory I have from Greece is, I think it was Sunday, so that was one day before I left, two days before they took me to UK, and remember, it was August, high temperature, we're talking about Greece, very warm country, and I was freezing, I was I was literally crying and begging to, for someone to bring something and cover me because I was freezing. You know, your, my body was reacting to this injury and I was losing all these fluids and I was shaking. I was literally shaking from being cold. And they had this, they had two big um, red lights above me that they were kind of bringing some heat. <laughs> I felt like uh, fried potatoes, you know, uh, <laughs> under the light that they keep them uh, warm. I know it's funny, but that's how I feel. I felt. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting imagery. <laughs> I was fried, <laughs> and I was under those. I wasn't lights. thinking that aspect of it, but I was thinking the potatoes. <laughs> 
so I was I, I was I was crying and I couldn't speak and I remember I was trying to notify the nurses to come and I was doing this noise that was the only thing I could do just to get them to come into the room and I was begging them please cover me with something I was full naked completely naked I could see the injuries I could see all the skin that was scraped off I could see the blood the fluids everything how uh, swollen I was transformed disfigured everything and then the doctors came in the room the whole team and they were standing at the end of the bed of my bed right on top of the no uh, where my feet are so they could see everything and I'm still human I'm still a young girl 23 years old fully naked exposed and I was begging them to cover me and they wouldn't at least cover me when you come in to give whatever diagnosis you want to give I don't know just just my private parts cover me mm. like I'm a human and then mm. <laughs> It got worse because the head of the uh, of the unit he came to my right side, and I remember I had, I couldn't move, I couldn't even do the slightest movement, and I had my arms on slings, so they were mm -hmm. a bit higher than my heart <clears throat> for the fluids and the swelling, and out of his pocket he was wearing the uh, the robe, the white robe that doctors wear, and out of his pocket not sterilized again he pulled out um, oh, no. how do a you pen? call the knives the knives uh, that they uh, like a scalpel a scalpel yeah he pulled out the scalpel I still remember it and he cut my hand three times one on the knuckles my right hand he just did a cut there and on my fingers and he oh, told me did you feel anything and of course I didn't feel anything because the nerves were just burned and damaged. My hand was, uh, it was the hand that they were thinking of amputating. It was severely, severely injured. I didn't feel the cut on my hand, but I did feel each cut on my heart. It was, mm. it was horrific to witness that in front of my eyes, having someone cut my hand like that. Mm. Some of the memories from that hospital. <laughs> and, and I think the listeners need to understand that when I can see you through video, but um, the way that you described your hands in the sling, they were uh, above your heart. So they were in full view of you. I mean, you couldn't move it. You could see your hands and see him yeah. doing that. Oh, my God, that's I horrific. think you could see my eyes, uh, rolling my eyes. Like I was... It's uh, the last memory I have from that hospital. Well, not the last memory, the last horrific memory I have from that hospital. And two days later, they uh, it was when the, the medical care from UK came. And although I was still in danger and fighting to stay alive, I was so happy that I was leaving. Mm. I was so happy that I was going. I can imagine. 
when did the UK team like when they the trans transfer team and transport team that came to collect you did they say anything about obviously they arrived and I could see what they were doing was not to their standard and the processes were different did they say anything to you they asked to me no my mom was the one that was receiving all the information and all the comments and all the frustration mm. of course they were trying to keep me as uh, as calm and secure as possible and they did an excellent job and I remember that day they came late at night. I think it was around 10 p.m. And uh, the, the the medical team in Greece, they didn't approve what my mom was doing. They didn't want, mm. they didn't sign any papers and they didn't want to, for my mom to take me away, although they mm-hmm. couldn't save me. But... The instructions were that the medical care from UK would come with an ambulance and I was supposed to be ready to be moved. So by ready, I had to be bandaged up and clean, whatever, with all the paperwork, everything had to be ready. They knew they knew that they were coming. It wasn't like it happened in three hours. It was, mm-hmm. they had a few t- days to prepare everything. So when they... When the medical care from UK came, they asked for my medical files. And by then, for eight days, I should have had at least at least a few papers pages. about everything. <laughs> pages, yes. Yeah. More yeah. than a few. Yeah. They gave one page that had a few sentences on, nothing more. And I wasn't even bandaged up. So I remember the commotion. I remember the noise and the discussions and people coming in and out from my room. Um, they were trying to figure out how to prepare me. And I knew that the my mom told me because she was in the room. And she said, well, the ambulance is out and it's waiting. She has to be ready. We need to go because the flight needs to go at that time, blah, 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 whatever. I don't remember the times, the timetable, but they didn't have me ready. And so there was this big commotion going going on and at some point I remember one of the surgeons that he came in the room I remember his name I'm not going to even mention it and he started to put bandages on me but he was so aggressive rough. and like rough. rough yes that's the yeah. word like he was moving yeah. me and I couldn't I couldn't move I was hurting like every single movement that I did was pain unbearable mm. pain mm. and he was so rough at that some, and he wasn't doing the job right anyway and at the end I'm not sure if my mom stepped a foot there and asked for the other guy to come I don't remember but the anesthesiologist from UK oh mm-hmm. I said that right well done you uh, said it good <laughs> <laughs> better than I did good good job <laughs> Well, it has a Greek origin, anesthesiologos. <laughs> so he came in the room and he got me ready. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tall, not very tall, but on the tall side. How anyway. tall are so, you? Uh, How tall are I know you? in centimeters, one yeah. meter 74 centimeters oh, you're about, you're 174 about centimeters okay your average height your average height you're like five foot average, nine. average. <laughs> yeah everyone else is just short 
<laughs> Don't you hate it when all the guys are like, oh, no, you have to be over six foot? No, no, you just exaggerate your height. <laughs> just because exactly. you're five foot seven. <laughs> well, I was anyway, taller so when they, the... I was taller when they finished bandaging up because I had so much bandages around me. And I was yeah. taller and they couldn't okay. fit me in the plane. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, they couldn't feed me. I remember that I was uh, kind of di- diagonal on the bed that they had yeah. in the <laughs> in the plane, and they gave me medication to keep me calm and uh, control my pain and everything. And in the plane, it was uh, the two pilots in front. It was the anesthesia the nurse yeah. on my left yeah. and then uh, I was uh, on the bed on the right and behind me there were two more seats and it was my mom and my aunt that's the passengers like six people I must say oh, I must say people. your mom your mom sounds like an absolute badass I love her <laughs> she's my hero yeah she's my hero and she we have the same age now. Like uh, she was 43 when she was dealing with all that. Wow. It's amazing. 43 years old. I can't imagine now myself dealing with something mm. this uh, severe and uh, life-threatening. Like it's, uh, I can't imagine having a child and uh, watching my child go through that. Horrific. Horrific. horrific, yeah. So they squeezed you into the... To the they plane, squeezed me like into a the sausage. plane. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy that I was flying. Like yeah. I don't remember any pain. Honestly, I don't remember any pain. That's because you're the good drug any... guy on board. <laughs> that too. But he, Andrew, that's the name of the anesthesiologist. We're going to call uh, him the drug guy like, from now on. It's easier. <laughs> oh, please. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that's So the better. drug guy... <laughs> He told my mom I gave her so much, like a heavy dose of drugs, she should yeah. be sleeping. She's not sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. I was hungry. They had some sandwiches on the right, on the there, and I wanted to eat. And I was watching out the window, looking out the window, the clouds and everything, although it was dark. And I, I was just so excited to go. You had hope. I want... I felt so good. I, it was like I, I, it was like a victory. Like it was yeah. like I, I got a chance. Yeah, that's how it felt. Yeah. And when we went to UK, I remember the room that they wheeled me in. I remember everything. I remember all the nurses. I remember asking for pillows because my feet were hurting, and I was so chatty. I wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. But didn't you have the trackie in still? You could. Did you I, still have I the trackie in? I still had it, but I wasn't connected. They put a like a lead, so I could. I I got my voice back because I wasn't connected while uh, I was. Uh... And so, and you can eat when you don't have the the lead no, in. I couldn't. I couldn't eat. In? I couldn't oh. eat anything. And then Why did you I want the sandwiches the... then? I was hungry. <laughs> I 
you know, I know I couldn't eat, but I was still hungry. <laughs> it's all the drugs giving you the munchies. <laughs> the excitement, the excitement. <laughs> so you remember all the nurses' so, names in the UK? I remember everything. They were so kind. They were so joyful. They were speaking to me, making sure that I was okay. I had one nurse. She had the such a beautiful voice, soothing voice, and she was there so kind, so kind with me. And uh, I think it took a few hours for them to unwrap me, <laughs> like I'm a gift, unwrap me, and see what's hiding beneath those uh yeah, those bandages. And then they connected me to an IV. And of course, I was willed in surgery right away to restore mm. whatever was left. And uh, I think that surgery was 11 hours, uh, wow. if I remember correctly from what my mom told me. And then they kept me sedated for a few weeks. I think it was uh, for two weeks that I was uh, sedated. Was that a, a planned surgery or was that when you arrived, they realized how bad you were and so it was an emergency surgery? It was an emergency. Yeah, they, knew that, they knew that I was bad, my mom told them, and uh, they knew that they had to do more surgery. I don't know if they knew how much uh, they had to mm. uh, remove or what they had to do, but... Yeah, and then they, I was in an induced coma, woke up in the ICU, bandaged. I didn't see my mm. scars, my my injuries from then on. <laughs> I was never uncovered. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And uh, then uh, I was still in danger, in danger, though. As I said, it, was, it took six weeks in the UK, one week in Greece and six weeks in the UK. Um, to to tell my mom that I would uh, I was out of danger, and they were taking skin grafts. Like I was in the surgery in and out all the time because they were they were taking skin from one part of my body to put it in the the injured part, and then they mm -hmm. were waiting for three days for that to heal, and then they would scrape it again, like skin grafts, you know, scrape it off again. So I had my skin from my tummy used three times. My back once, my bum, my bum once. I don't want to know where that skin went. And <laughs> and three times my head. They, oh they, my goodness! Yeah, they shaved my head and they scraped my skin. The skin of because I they were they they needed skin to cover me. They my the burns were so. Um, extend. I have to ask a really strange question. It's probably very insensitive, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> okay. If they're I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. If they're shaving your head and taking a skin graft for that, you've got quite pronounced hair follicles. If they put it on another part of your body, do you start growing hair on that part of the body? Sometimes depends if they have if they scrape it like if the skin graft has um is deeper than they should it could right. this could happen yes right right in my case not such a silly question now I feel like I was a little bit <laughs> <laughs> 
my case, I don't know where the skin went. I have no idea. But okay. So no weird hair growth. I... Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Good you can laugh about it now because it's horrific. So we have to put some levity yeah. into the conversation. Um, well, it took me 20 years to start laughing about it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, I'm, I was I'm glad you I'm glad you you got that. So what's happened with your husband? Because if you're in the same room as him and you couldn't talk because you're on a trackie, he doesn't sound as injured as you. What, he wasn't. Um, what was he, he wasn't as injured. How long was he in hospital for? I think he was in for four or five weeks. I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, four or five weeks. He had the burns on his left hand, arm, left arm mm-hmm. and left leg. Mm-hmm. So if we if we mention and now now I'm going to be serious because uh, I'm going to speak about Effie and uh, I know I'm laughing mm-hmm. but the scars go beyond my skin or deeper mm-hmm. than my skin it goes in my heart and I'm, I'm um they're emotional scars and when it comes to mm-hmm. Effie my friend and Sotiri um I'm still healing mm-hmm. so. If we get if we mention numbers, so the listeners have uh, some understanding. Is I had seventy four percent burns on my body, arms, legs, face, neck, and chest. Effie had sixty three percent burns, and it was mainly on her torso, and she was wearing synthetic uh, clothes. And that's the worst enemy for a burn because mm. the burn keeps mm. on burning. I was lucky that I was wearing a cotton dress and that saved my uh, my body, basically, and uh, my life. <clears throat> so my husband, he had 22%. So from the numbers, you can understand the, mm-hmm. the difference and how, how more severe my case and Effie's was. <laughs> Difficult, I know. <laughs> I know, it's... Uh... Sometimes I stop and I think, if I could do something, if I could change something, what would that be? And You know, many people, they think like, yeah, I would like to go back and... Uh... I could change that moment. And of course, that's mm. the main thing. But what I would like to do is to, if I could only have a voice, voice to speak and demand my safety, my safety and my friend's safety, and also for them, for them to demand their safety. What was your husband saying, or ex-husband now, what was he saying I mean, you're unable to communicate and you're lying there in this agony. Was he, but you're in the same room as him. Was he saying anything to you? Was he apologising? 
Oh yeah, he was apologizing, of course, of course. But he was in a lot of pain. <clears throat> Although mm. he was not as severely injured, he was in a lot of pain because the less um, deeper the burns are, the more pain. The deeper the burns, the more nerve damage and the less pain. Well, less pain. There's pain, but... Anyway, he couldn't handle the pain. He was always asking for medication. At some point, I remember they gave him, because he could move his arms and he could use his arms. He, he wasn't able to stand up, but he could use his uh, hands. And I, I remember they gave him a remote, um, how do you call that the now? Patient control, it's the patient-controlled anesthesia. It's the patient-controlled drugs. Exactly. He was clicking all the yeah. time. Every five minutes he was taking, he thought he was taking medication, but, yeah. you know, they have like a limit. And uh, mm. he was he was literally in pain all the time. He was asking, he was saying how sorry he was, but I don't know if, I don't remember much of what we said, the two of us, to be honest. And I don't know if I blocked that, blocked that out. I don't remember much. And after I, I left, when I left and I went to UK, we didn't have a communication. Obviously, I couldn't speak. The only communication was uh, with my mom. And I don't know if she could handle speaking to him after what happened. Mm. Although she did for my own sake, because uh, when when I was uh, when I was awake, I was asking her how he is, if she spoke with him, and she would say a few things. Um. But, it's a tough yeah, position for your mum to be in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Very difficult. When did you um, – do you remember a turning point when you sort of got to the stage of, okay, I'm out of the woods? Like was there a mentality shift when that happened? Like how did you have this strength to keep fighting? As a person, I am not a quitter. Like I learned mm -hmm. from my parents from a very young age that we never quit. But of course, sometimes the lessons we learn in an early age, we don't necessarily carry them when something like this happens. But <clears throat> I remember one day the physiotherapist came to my room to help me stand up. Because I had to relearn everything. I had to relearn how to uh, grab the fork to eat, how to stand on my own, how to walk. There was no muscle. There was no nerves. There was just bones, skin and bones. I lost all the weight that I had. Well, it was all removed. All the flesh and the muscle was were removed. The doctors told my mom that she had to go out and get me a wheelchair because I would spend my day, my life in a wheelchair. I could still stand and walk, but not more than five, ten minutes because of the not having muscles to, you know, uh, support my body, my weight. So she went out and she got me a wheelchair. And I remember one day the physiotherapist came to get me out of the bed and they did and I was in so much pain they gave me that um, 
the frame to work to walk so i remember i grabbed i couldn't grab but i put my hands on the frame and there was no um movement in my hands i was so stiff like like a skeleton mm. and i couldn't stand i just couldn't no matter how much i tried i felt defeated i just i just couldn't i started crying i was angry i wanted them all to go i was depressed reality hit me hard i didn't know why i stayed alive uh, i just didn't want to be where i was that day so they kind of tried to change my mind but they couldn't of course and they left they left me to calm down my mom was outside the room crying and i was just angry and depressed and i didn't want to see anyone they left me alone that day and the next day they came but they didn't know what to expect if i was in the same state you know it's like when you're tiptoeing around someone trying to feel oh should i speak or should i not speak should i leave so i i, I saw them that they came <clears throat> both physiotherapists because i had two every time for each session two sessions a day two physiotherapists one from the left side and one from the right side working at the same time and they came in the room and they said oh how are you today i said okay and they kind of implied that they will let me have a day off <laughs> So they turned their back to leave. And I said, where are you going? Well, we'll be back later to check up on you. And I said, why? I We're not having physiotherapy today. And they surprised. They turned around. Do you want to? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, bring the frame. And I got up that day. And I made my first wow. step. <laughs> I thought, like I had one day to think. Yeah. And I, I thought about Effie and I thought about Sotiri and uh, I had no right to give up. That's how I felt. Not after what happened. I was still around and I had no right to not fight. So that's what I did after that. Every day I worked hard and harder and harder. And eventually I got rid of the wheelchair. So I don't use a wheelchair anymore. I, I kept it for nine months. But every time wow, I looked at the wheelchair, I just wanted to, I don't want to stay there. And like the more the doctor said that um, I, I wouldn't be able to use my right hand. I wouldn't be able to stand on my own. I wouldn't be able to walk all those things i just felt like i had to not prove them wrong but prove me right that i can at what point did you get out of the danger zone of losing your hand and foot that was about six uh, seven weeks in uk right 
because there were infections. And I remember my aunt and my mom, they were coming in the room and they were sniffing my feet. Like I was lying in bed, okay, and my feet right there. And uh, they were sniffing on my feet. I said, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing. But then after a few months, they told me that the doctor said that they should be conscious about any weird smell coming, like dead skin, you know, how it smells when the body parts are dying. So they were saying, if you sm smell anything weird, let us know right away. Uh, so they were constantly sniffing my uh, my hands and my feet. <laughs> And I, I had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> These people are like crazy. <laughs> Sniffing me. <laughs> oh, good on them. Mm. So you left intensive care and you've gone to rehab. How long were you in rehab for? I was in rehab for about three weeks. That short a time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was making huge progress, huge progress. Wow. The doctor was amazed. One day he he went up to my mom and he said, tell me what Athanasia was doing before her injury. And she said, what do you mean what she was doing? What was her lifestyle? And I was uh, working out a lot before my accident. I was uh, watching out my diet. I wasn't eating any meat. I was eating a lot of fish a lot of vegetables. Um, I was pretty healthy and active. And he said that probably saved her life, like her lifestyle before and how strong her uh, immune system is, was. I was, it, my progress was remarkable. Remarkable. Good on you. And uh, then I left the hospital because they could see that I uh, I could uh, stand on my own, still in a wheelchair, okay, but I could I could stand. I, w I still needed help to go to the washroom and feed myself because everything was so stiff. But I wasn't giving up. I was trying. And the more I tried, the more I succeeded. Every It was like baby steps. Every day I was doing something more and more. And they could see that. So they <clears throat> discharged me from uh, the hospital, but we still made uh, stayed in UK, and we were going in outpatients for months and months, twice, three times a week, to change the dressings, to do physio, intense physiotherapy. Uh, I remember I was going there at least one hour earlier, so they can give me the strong medication so I can take the pain. Uh, I had to wear a full body um, pressure garments. Those are specific clothing that you need to wear to apply pressure on the scars so they don't end up hypertrophic scars. So I had to wear that for What's a, a year. What's a hypertrophic scar? You know, when you get an injury or even a surgery and the scar it just makes like lumps, Okay. It's, um, yeah. That's what happens with burns. So they need burn survivors. They need to wear these uh, pressure garments. So there are specific garments that you that apply pressure on the uh, on the burns on the scars, so they don't end up that way, and they're more smooth. So I was wearing that for 
a year. Full face mask with silicone, with uh, all this medical stuff. Uh, uh, it was, there was nothing feminine about me. Nothing. If you looked at me, you couldn't tell if I was a boy or a girl. If it was, it was very hard for me to accept my reflection in the mirror. Very hard. I couldn't recognize myself. And I remember one day in, I was still in the hospital, and they had another another great way in UK in the Broomfield Hospital. I'm so grateful for those people. Like, if anyone is listening, I'm so grateful for you. I still keep in touch with some of the medical stuff. Oh, terrific. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> what they did was that they had, uh, you know, those cameras that they take pictures, instant pictures? The Polaroids? Taking, yeah, the Polaroids, yes. They were taking yeah. pictures from a distance, and they were giving me the picture. And I could see the picture slowly... Uh, developing from a distance and I was examining myself like trying to figure there was no mirrors anywhere I couldn't see my reflection they don't have any mirrors in the burn in burns unit and I was looking at the picture to see how I look because I couldn't see like I didn't know I knew how my body was but I didn't know how my face was and my face went through a lot for one, for th I think it was uh, maybe two weeks, they had my right eye stitched closed because wow. uh, yeah, it got burned. So uh, I came close to losing my eye. <laughs> I have scars on the right side of my face. I had have many reconstructive uh, surgery over the years. I still do. Last year, I was supposed to have another surgery, but it was it got cancelled because of the pandemic. So it, my body went through a lot, and it was very difficult mm. for me to accept my reflection. So one day, they were going to give me a bath. Every day, they were giving me a bath. And they took me to a different room to give me a bath. And in that room, when they wheeled me in, there was a mirror. And they did that on purpose. And they admitted that later on because I asked them. They took <laughs> me. That was, their way, that was their way to slowly and gradually introduce the burn victims to their new Bodies. reflection. Yeah. Mm. And I remember I was trying mm. to see my reflection in the mirror and I didn't like what I see. I didn't like what I saw that day. I really didn't like what I saw on my face. That wasn't me. How long did it take you to come to terms with the new you? Because looking at you now, I can't tell that you've had any burn issues to your face at all. It's amazing what makeup does. <laughs> <laughs> I know I say that every day when I put it on. <laughs> I didn't wear it for like a year because I was in lockdown in the house and I went to put it on. And I went to an osteo appointment and she's like, you have not worn makeup for a year. I'm like, I know, I nearly forgot how to put it on. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> 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 
So well, when did you get I, to to sort of accept the new reflection? Oh, well, <clears throat> I can't really say that it took me six months or one year or two years or five years or ten years. Some days I have really bad days and I stay in front of the mirror even now and I look at myself and say, ugh. Oh, no. <sighs> Just, you know, or yeah. when I have to get ready to go to a wedding, for example. And uh, I, I haven't worn lipstick for 20 years because my lips are not shaped. And, uh, like, I, it's there every day. And accept I'm a human being having mm. a life experience mm. that I had to embrace over the years. And acceptance was the only place that I could be to make that happen. So I accepted it. I don't. It doesn't mean that I always like it. It doesn't mean that I'm always uh, in terms with it. But it happened. This is it. I have to live with it, and I am good now. Like I'm. I'm good with my reflection. I have my bad days, but I also have my good days. Some days I'm all. I'm so beautiful today. I feel so good. <laughs> I have those days too. <laughs> good on you. I never have those days, so you're ahead of me. <laughs> I, am, I don't know. I try not to have mirrors in the house. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and I haven't even gone through anything that you've gone through. So you're well ahead of me. <laughs> How long were you in the UK for in total? About two years. Well, so not two years, okay. 18, 18 months, 18, 20 months. That was uh, how long I stayed. So I was from August 2001 till January uh, 2002. But then I went back again for a few months and then I, 2003, sorry. And then I went back, stayed a few months and then returned. But from 2003 that I left UK until 2007, I was... Uh, back and forth, staying for a few months, two months, three months, having operations and reconstructive surgeries. And each surgery, it wasn't like you go in, you have the surgery 10 hours and then you're done. You have to go have the surgery one time and then be connected to a, mas- a machine for five weeks, tied to the bed. You can't even go anywhere and then uh, have another surgery after five weeks and then recover. It was a long, painful, time-consuming, effort-consuming process. Yeah, process, yeah. And even the surgery that I'm, I was planning to have uh, last year, that's a big surgery mm. that I was planning to have in Greece. What was, what was that one? <laughs> on my you neck. said that your eyes your eyes opened up like you were this was the worst case scenario why have you decided to have it in Greece why not just fly back to the UK well uh, it's a lot to leave and go to another country and the cost is high and yeah you know I feel like I have set my life into a path and I need to follow that path now I'm not at that point when the accident happened, my life stopped. 
Mm. It was like interrupted. And that's why that's the title actually of my keynote speech when I speak about my burns and my experience. It's life interrupted. It was disrupted, but I turned it around and I made it like an interruption because I kept on leaving after my accident. So you're in you go back after eighteen months, two years to Greece. Had you seen your husband at all in that time frame? He came once to uh, UK to visit when I was still in hospital. And uh, then I did visit Greece a few times during those two years, well, 18, 20 months that I was in UK. I did return to Greece to visit family. And also we did try to get back to the Greek medical system and see if they can help us so we can, you know, return to our lives but there was no help nothing it was another horrific experience (laughs) the traumatic not horrific traumatic experience that I still remember that day that I went back to uh, the hospital it was in November November 30th 2001 so August September four months after my accident four months. I had all my therapy in Greece, my recovery, I got discharged. And then my mom took me and said, okay, let's go to Greece and see if they can help us out. And I was out of danger, how they can uh, continue the therapy and the recovery process. In five minutes, less than five minutes, I was in tears, in pain because of them. They didn't treat me well. They were very rough again. They took off the band just to see my uh, how I was healing. I still had open wounds, and they just ripped the skin off. <gasps> Never said sorry. They made me to take off my... They asked me, not made me, they asked me to take off my clothes, which I did, and they asked me to stand in front of a door so they can take pictures. And they did. I did. I stood there in the door, in front of the door. They took pictures and I was crying. So my mom saw that. She said, no, we're not staying. We're going back to UK for as long as it takes. That's what we did. Bloody love you, mom. Um, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> At what point? You know what I mention- say? I'm, I'm going what? to interrupt you and say that my mom... My mom, my hero, she gave me life twice. That's what I tell yeah. her. Yeah. I can I can believe that from your story. You mentioned earlier that your that your husband at the time is you're no longer married to him. When did that break down? Well, <clears throat> okay, so let's speed up the process now. I got back to Greece in 2003 kind of got into the normal routine of my life. And um, Mm -hmm. at that point, we were not together because uh, he wasn't the husband that he should have been while I was away. And probably you understand what I mean. So, yeah, I couldn't take that. So we separated. But I was so vulnerable and I was so... Uh, I had no self-confidence. I was 
fragile. I was, and yeah. I know this is all excuses, but he, I gave him another chance. I regret it to this day why I gave him another chance, but I did. So from 2003, uh, for three years, we stayed together for three more years. And it wasn't a happy, it wasn't happy three years. It wasn't, and it had nothing to do with burns. It was, mm. you have the burns, you have what happened. And on top of that, you have a whole new aspect of pain, emotional pain, mm. emotional pain. That's the word. So that ended up me having cancer at some point in my life. So oh three years later, I was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. I went into the hospital for a typical procedure to see what was wrong because I couldn't get pregnant because we were trying to get pregnant and I couldn't. And uh, while I was... Uh, while the doctors were doing surgery and he wasn't even there, they found out that I had cancer. And I think that was a turning point because when I found out about having cancer and uh, having to make choices that had to do with uh, children in the future and I was thinking about him having his own children and I couldn't give that to him and all that. I didn't get the support that I was expecting. He literally didn't care. And I later found out why he didn't care because he just didn't. Oh no. And that was like flipping the switch for me. I just turned the switch off and I said, okay, goodbye. <laughs> and that was it. I haven't seen him since. Even the divorce, I just made all the paperwork myself. He didn't even so up, show up. So, uh, and I'm good. I'm really good. I, I think that day, I it's like a burden was lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, because he sounds like a gem. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Lordy, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got no words in regards to <laughs> that. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's been it's 15 over, years. Yeah. <laughs> God, but I'm just processing this now, okay? Like, I've got to come to terms with this now. <laughs> Goodness me. Okay. But you found there's a happy... <clears throat> Silver lining because you found love again. You're you're remarried. Yes, I am. I'm a newlywed. Actually, we got married. Are in, you? Uh, Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. In September last year, during pandemic, wow. <laughs> we got married. Wow, was it a pan so pandemic romance? No, we've been together since 2016. He's also a burn survivor, mm -hmm. and uh, we met through. Through a group because I was in Greece and I was still trying to deal with my burn injuries, trying to find support and there was nothing. And uh, I started searching on the internet, you know, to find some kind of support somewhere in the world. And I did. And I found this support in the States. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a, an organization called Phoenix Society. I'm so thankful that I found them. It's like my burn family. 
So 2014, I got on the plane to go to the conference on my own, didn't know anyone. I just knew that I was going to a burn conference and I would be surrounded by people like me. <laughs> I felt good. On good. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I made all these connections and through one uh, group, I met my husband today, Daniel, and uh, we've been together since 2016 and I've been traveling to Canada two, three times a year. And last year we decided that it's time to get married. And now I'm in Canada with him. Good on you. So you moved in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> yes, I did. I wow. did. I'm still trying for the measures to, you know, to lift so I can go back and visit my family. It's not easy. It's not easy being away. No. And especially for Greeks, we are very close to our family. Yes. Uh, we always support each other and it's difficult, but uh, I'm, I'm waiting and I'm optimistic that this thing will soon end and we can go back to our normal life and I can travel back and forth again. I um I do know how close the Greeks are to the, the families. Australia, Melbourne in particular, where I am, has got, I think I heard that it's one of the largest Greek communities outside of Greece in the world. I probably got that I all wrong. So. but. Uh, I heard it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, we've got an enormous um, Greek community, so we have great food. <laughs> Melbourne, big Italian community as well. <laughs> um, we said we said that when we can be when we are available to um, what well, when we are able to travel, so we can have yeah. our honeymoon. We are going to Australia. That's our plan. Oh wow! Whereabouts in Australia are you going? <laughs> Sydney for a start yeah. because I have a friend there, a very close friend, and yeah. then maybe a few places around. Yeah. I'll get up north and go to the Great Barrier Reef and do all the touristy stuff that you need to. If you end up in Melbourne, then let me know. Please okay. do. I'll be very offended. I'll be very offended if you don't and we can go have a coffee. Um <laughs> you're doing you're doing keynote speaking now, um, but you're also an artist. Yes, that's, that's part of my physiotherapy. That's how it started. So when I was still in the hospital, mm -hmm. when I was in re rehab, before I got discharged from hospital, the doctors were saying, you know, Athanasia, you won't be able to use your hands and you need to start using your left more and um, make sure you don't give up, but just be prepared that your hand will not have full function and you won't be able to hold the pen and all that stuff. The day I left, I made my mom go to get uh, and buy a thank you card to give to my uh, consultant, my doctor, and I wrote it with my right hand. <laughs> it was huge, big letters, big letters, because I couldn't do the, you like know. Like child writing. <laughs> I love but I it. Did. <laughs> yeah, good on you. He probably <laughs> loved that more because it was from you and not in someone else's hands. So yeah, <laughs> how wonderful. And uh, well, they were saying uh, make sure that you use your hands. So my mom was on a mission. As soon as they said that, she was on a mission to keep my hands moving. So what she did, my mom is an artist. She's an excellent artist. She's amazing. And um she took me to this great big hobby craft shop and uh, 
there I was. I got uh, brushes and I got uh, canvases and colors and uh, we started painting together. She taught me how to paint. She showed me a few things and that's how I started using my hands. And what I found through painting and what they say about art therapy, it's so real. It, it was painful just trying to hold the brush. It was, it was so painful, but it was soothing me emotionally. It really helped me heal just creating because I didn't think that I would be able to do anything. I didn't, I never thought I could, it was like I lost the opportunity to create something. So just seeing that from nothing, I created something. It, it just kept me going. So from that day, I am an artist and I am now a recognized artist. Like I'm a member of the North Greece Association of Artists. And I have been uh, taking part in many exhibitions all over Europe, in England, here in Canada. And I have uh, some of my paintings in private collections, uh, been in magazines. I'm very proud of myself. Yeah, you should be. (laughs) How can people um, discover your art and purchase your art? So I have a web page. It's Nasya Huvarda. Uh, probably you'll probably write the name because it's different difficult to pronounce I'll put, I'll put it all in the show notes in the in the yeah. podcast I, so, I'm glad you said that it's difficult to pronounce. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really gonna struggle with doing the intro for this and pronouncing your name correctly because it's so beautiful and I'm gonna butcher it <laughs> you know what it means in Greek what tell my me my name in Greek means immortality ah oh, perfect <laughs> yeah i love my name <laughs> yeah um so you've got your website and um which is your name.com and then you've also got your uh, instagram as well which is your name and then underscore art well actually it's not yes, your name exactly. it's your abbreviated name it's nasia huvarda underscore art yeah so it's not your full name that's I'll my that's my notes. yeah that's my Instagram uh, account for my art. And I also have an Instagram account for pictures because I love taking pictures. And uh, I'm also starting my own podcast. Get I'm out. so excited What's your about podcast it. Name? Have you got a name? <laughs> yes. Crash Victim Life Survivor Podcast. And it's all about my experience being a bird survivor and to uh-huh. raise awareness on road safety. So I'm starting with a solo series. So I'll be, I'll be taking the listeners through my story and be more open about some stuff, intimacy, acceptance, reflection, guilt, how people responded, uh, some some of the things that I experienced in the courthouse because of the accident, like I'm going to be very open about everything so people can be aware of what one split second can do in our lives. And uh, I'm hoping that I have a, a launch date, May 11th. Love it. Yes. So I'm going to launch that day. And then I will, uh, I'm hoping that I will start getting interviews from uh, other survivors of uh, car crashes because I think, I think those incidents, they need to find a voice and they need to be heard. 
and people should be aware that road safety is very important because we have so many young people severely injured or killed on the road and this has to Mm. stop Mm. i'm on a mission too yeah good on you well let me know if there's anything that i can i can do i'm happy to um send me a link for you when your podcast launches before the 11th and i'll uh, put it on the uh, the old gram which i'm learning because i've just not long joined um so yeah it's been so lovely speaking with you thank you so much for your time and i'm i'm going to jump on now and have a look at this artwork do you ship to australia everywhere i can i can travel and create there (laughs) (laughs) we're not letting anybody in at the moment so you might have to wait a while after the pandemic (laughs) after the pandemic (laughs) lovely speaking with you thank you thank you for having me over it was lovely to meet you Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 